Welcome to another episode of Exhale, a podcast series where we explore topics on spirometry and respiratory care. Your host is Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager for Vitalgraph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Today, we have a passionate interview with Teresa Griego. She's a respiratory professor at Tarrant Community College in Fort Worth, Texas. Teresa discusses the heroic work on the front lines of respiratory care, such as the growing threat to respiratory health from diseases like COVID-19, at the same time as we struggle to care for an aging U.S. population. Well, Teresa, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, please give us a little background on yourself, education, experience, and what your current responsibilities are right now. Okay. Um, I've been a registered respiratory therapist since 1993. I currently work at a college in downtown Fort Worth, which is uh, part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and I teach advanced cardiopulmonary anatomy and physiology and respiratory pharmacology, in addition to some clinical teaching. And I am involved in many aspects of, of respiratory, including I volunteer for our state organization, the Texas Society for Respiratory Care. And then I also am a, was a keynote speaker recently at, at our state convention. And then I'm very, very passionate and actively involved in a nonprofit called the Respiratory Care Foundation of Texas, where I serve on the board there. And it's really a scholarship organization giving scholarships to students. But mainly, I'm a big, big advocate of just promoting my field and through evidence-based medicine and teachings. And so um, I was thrilled to be invited here because that's a big focus of the telegraph talking about all the multidisciplinary ways that we as healthcare providers have not historically taken advantage of if if not too often stayed to ourselves so thrilled to be here today Um, i have a lot of experience but also i'm just every day wanting to reach out and see how it is that we can all work together and just better patient outcomes Wonderful. I'm really glad to have you on. How was the Texas State Respiratory Conference? It was, it's been a busy summer. It was a great conference. Um, it's the first time we've been back to face-to-face since the pandemic. And so it was wonderful seeing everybody and looking forward to a bigger and better one next year. Can you give a description of evidence-based respiratory care? Absolutely. So in any healthcare we have things that get passed down through the generations. And so we find ourselves sometimes doing things in practice that was done because, and I use quotation marks around this because that's the way we've always done it. And unfortunately, there's things that we've been doing historically that people think that are working. And when I say think, take for example, something like an old, if you're if you're a respiratory therapist and you've been practicing for a while, you'll know something called intermittent positive pressure breathing, which was a bird machine. It was a bird ventilator. It was a pressure triggered ventilator. And you'll hear therapists saying, I love that. It was great. And the reality is that they probably spent a lot of time in their career doing it and giving a lot of care and wanting to believe that it was doing better by the patient, but there's just simply never been any evidence to suggest that. These were pressure ventilators that people used during polio times, and so that patient can literally offload their work of breathing as they were recovering from polio. As we went forward, and even as early as 1974, we had evidence that this really wasn't working in the way we were using in the hospitals in modern times. 
and it was really injuring alveolus. And here we are in 2022, and even in the last year of my career, I've seen that in practice. So it's hard to speak to people through the years about something they're so passionate about and believing that they were helping the patient. But the reality is there's just no evidence to support that. And anything that we're doing, if there's no evidence, what we think about something gets skewed with our emotions about how much we're trying to help someone. And so if we can't look at evidence, then we can't give the proper care to the patient or or hope to even have better patient outcomes if we can't rely on the evidence. So what values does respiratory care add to the respiratory care organization? So I'll speak about respiratory care and what it brings to the healthcare team. When we now have gone to many, many critical care, or at least renowned critical care programs in, in most ICUs will have a interdisciplinary team that goes around and we round on the patient. And for many years, respiratory kind of was left out in, in some of that. And in today's medical practice, you'll still see sometimes the respiratory is not invited to the table. And what we bring, respiratory is really involved in everything. You'll hear me say many times in, in when I speak is that the first thing you have to do is breathe. And the last thing that you do is have to breathe. And I consider them both very holy moments and very special to be there. But we are involved in all the aspects from that moment to the end. And so when we are looking at respiratory care, we're, we're cardiopulmonary specialists. And so we have to understand how not only that the lungs work, but how the fluids in the body and, and the heart is working. Because if we're not getting the proper fluid management, then we're not having proper gas exchange at the alveolus level. And from there, we really are one of the practitioners at the bedside that are able to see a patient prior to their deterioration in the middle of something that's probably going wrong, but we're on the preventative side as well as the critical care side trying to better the patient's outcome. That's interesting. A respiratory therapist sees life to death and you see it all, the progression of the disease to death. You're right. It brings all the silos together and it's more of a team approach. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And respiratory is so special in the way that we many times have patients that have come in for a surgery or something that really, if you looked at that patient from any other standpoint other than a respiratory viewpoint, is they didn't come into the hospital possibly for anything regarding respiratory, and yet they can end up in respiratory distress and even failure based on the management of that patient. And yep. so we have to as a discipline, understand that we are constantly looking at patients and their care and trying to prevent them from situations where they're going to end up in an ICU. Because we know that the moment a person enters an ICU, then your mortality rates skyrocket. And if we can prevent that prior to getting to an intensive care unit, that is so valuable in bettering the patient's outcome and getting them home quicker than they would if they slide backwards. And possibly the moment they go into an ICU is the chance that they may not go home. Stark reality, but those are the numbers and that's what they suggest. Since the pandemic began, I would think that the evidence-based respiratory care, this pandemic was exactly right down that alley. 
because you look at a patient first comes in for respiratory distress, looking at the symptoms and how it, you can make it better. Did they know high flow works as well? Probably not. And they probably went the route. And historically, that is what we worked in as evidence-based. Respiratory care is always evolving. And to go on top of that, we found out things that we really spoke about in education and as respiratory therapists in theory. And then we were able to see things that really caused patient demise. And that was from the use of too much oxygen. And so people get a little confused when I say that. And one of the, the big parts of evidence of understanding that our bodies, when we take a big deep breath in right now, what's in our lungs? And that is 79% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. And people say, well, why do I care about that? Well, because we don't use nitrogen in our body, right? If that is in our lungs. It basically is the door holder of your alveoli. And it basically just holds the AC membrane open as gas diffuses back and forth. It kind of just says, go on in oxygen and come on out CO2. And as you increase those percentages, in the lungs of oxygen, then you get less of a door holder is the way I kind of explain it to people. And then when you get up to 100% of oxygen, the alveoli that were not attacked by the virus, the ones that could have been functional, we basically took the door holder out and we gave them absorption atelectasis. And so then by the time they got to me in the ICU, there was nothing left to ventilate. It wasn't that the ventilator wasn't working. It wasn't that that the patient going on the ventilator is that's what was put through the media that that's what if you get on the media the ventilator then you're done for if you got to the ventilator there's probably nothing left at that point and so we've just learned in that process how to try to manage that so we can keep the patient oxygenated and ventilated without giving them oxygen toxicity types of problems and this is what I love about respiratory care. You see the analogy of opening a door and holding that door when we do pulmonary function testing. They do nitrogen washout at 100% oxygen in, and it is amazing to see. Going back and looking at the interventions, that's the thing that change, changes are. Inventions provide necessary and what clinical value does the intervention create. So when you speak of interventions, you mean like the therapies we traditionally see most in the hospital, things like aerosol therapies. You'll hear many, many people say, well, that patient doesn't need that. Where our field needs to go to is, okay, but what do they need? Because if a patient is in a hospital and they are not moving and getting up on their own, then they're susceptible and likely to fall victim to a respiratory illness. And so too often in our field, some because people don't know, some because there's a good amount of people in our industry that are just lazy and they don't give the right thing. So while the patient may not be wheezing, they may not actually need a bronchodilator therapy. What else do they need? And the answer is recruitment therapy. And I think you'll remember we traditionally we call that hyperinflation. And that word makes me cringe because I'm not here to over distend alveoli and and destroy that AC membrane. I'm here to recruit ones that are not functional. And so I think that's just a different mindset of knowing that there are things that aren't appropriate for the therapy for the patient. And that's part of being a respiratory care practitioner, not a tech, 
not somebody that's just doing something because it's on a list and needs to be checked off, but because we're seeing what is appropriate for the patient and what is not. And those things change. It's a dynamic situation. It's not static. The patient is not a, a one time. As they get better, we need to know when to remove therapies. And when they are not doing well, we need to know when to add those. That's great. You hit the nail on the head there. The fact that respiratory practitioners, as opposed to technicians, MA and nurses, what is the value of a respiratory therapist? Respiratory care practitioner has a scope of practice we work in. And so we are not defined by a work list per se. We have protocols. We have things that are implemented from day to day that are based on that patient dynamic status and, and as it changes and versus someone who um, just has a much more narrow scope of practice where they are just doing things that are on the order set, but they don't have a protocol to work within. And I think maybe that was maybe a, one of the first questions you were kind of asking me. I didn't know really where it was leading exactly, but um, does that answer the question? No, I appreciate that. Does combined non-invasive support therapy and its best practice for COVID? Yes. Um, also, respiratory rates. I want to talk a little bit about that because the very first thing we see in a patient that's going for a less of a worsening outcome. Uh, I'm so used to saying bettering patient outcomes, I'm hard to say it the other way, is that their respiratory rate will change. And so if you're a person at the bedside, or if you've been in healthcare long, you know that everybody's respiratory rate is 20, right? Um, it is not. And as those respiratory rate kicks up, it's one of the first vitals to change for a patient if we know that the outcome was worsening. If we can just implement therapies at the appropriate time or more appropriate times, then again, we can go back to bettering patient outcomes by not having them go into a critical care unit and, and needing those advanced therapies. So how do we measure the quality of respiratory therapy education programs? That is a great question. And one we are constantly trying to Im improve because we can go by standards of people passing their board exams, but how do we move into a situation where we know that the proper education is what led to a better therapist? And as you know, it's just so hard to have quality studies done. Evidence that is in respiratory care is old right now. And so when I look at that, I say, we just need more evidence provided to know those answers, to have a measuring stick so that we can measure up to and know whether we're doing the right things. When I got into respiratory, I was told, and this was in 1993, and I don't think it's too much different, unfortunately, today, is I was told to follow. Go follow the experienced therapist. Go follow the best practice. Unfortunately, I wasn't always following people that had a better understanding or more evidence-based understanding of what they were doing. They were just doing what the doctor had ordered. And I've heard that my whole career. And we just have to have a situation where we just have people go out and lead. And so I tell all of my students, lead from wherever you are. Lead from the moment you have any knowledge that's evidence-based, you start becoming a pulmonary expert, subject matter expert. And no, you haven't graduated yet. That doesn't mean that you don't already have that information. And if you have evidence that can back that up, that's all that anybody of 
leadership roles really care about if they are trying to take your suggestions for patient care. Vitaligraph appreciates that we're a resource and reaches different practice from pulmonary to asthma and allergy clinics. We as a manufacturer provide education about positive evidence-based respiratory care. As resource, we provide quality products, solutions, and provide also this podcast and webinars to help educate our listeners to help to grow the industry and provide good patient care. Quality life is number one. The more resources we can have, the more that anyone plugs in, when they see that your company is giving information for bettering not only the practitioners that are using the equipment, but the recipients, the patients that are having the test done. They see that you're trying to educate from all realms, then that's how we better patient care. That's how we get information from the patient that says, well, this, this test was uncomfortable, and so we tweak it some, or I don't wanna do it because of my fear and you have a practitioner that can help them through that respiratory care is at the bedside for longer than most practitioners at the bedside we have an understanding of that patient like no other discipline how does the respiratory society help grow a community where do you come from the academic sense to help the community have a better outcome we participate in information that goes out through our partners like hospitals and um, through schools, through nonprofits. And it's my opinion, we should be doing so many more things with social media. I had a colleague that invited me on a live session on Instagram a couple of years ago. And I realized I don't really want to be participating in my career things with my personal Instagram or my personal social media because people that I'm working with, you don't really care to see me go into my kids' ball games or <laughs> those types of things. And so I created a social media platform called RT Out Loud. And it's because I am out loud. I say things like most people don't say about people being lazy or people being not motivated and not participating in better patient outcomes from just complacency. So from that out loud page, I will tell you that it has been fantastic. And for so many of us in healthcare that possibly have been around a bunch of grumpy bugs talking about how everything's horrible. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem is the way that I believe. And so I, it's so wonderful to be on social media and to meet people doing things just like this today and people that are tuned in and committed and motivated to better those patient outcomes. I have a quote that I shared on a PowerPoint um, this last Saturday because I actually do practice what I preach. I was speaking to the North Texas Radiological Society on some respiratory things, but also on interdisciplinary teams and how we should just be more than the latest bud sprays. And one of the quotes I put in there is, trust your craft enough to admire it, study it, perfect it, breathe it, and never stop getting better at whatever it is that you do and that you love to do. And that's so powerful because I see that on social media. We're actually able to connect with the people that are like-minded, that are interested in being a leader and leading teams to more evidence, doing more evidence. And we all should be considering how we're going to do more evidence-based research. I agree. One statement I would like to make 
the low enrollment of RTs and what we could do about it? I guess I would, I have a little bit of a, my undergrad after respiratory was in advertising and marketing, and then my master's is in uh, respiratory care and leadership. So I have a background that kind of understands some of the marketing and advertising of things. And I am actually very shocked. I understand that through COVID people had a lot of fear, but also it shed light on a career that with the, the education that, you know, basically you can get in 21 months and you can get out of school and make, you know, about $70,000 and you work in overtime, you'll be making six figures. Now that's a lot. I understand that it is a lot of work, but there's just not many industries across the board where you can graduate even with a bachelor's degree or master's degree and start right. as a base salary making a great wage for your family and i think across the board you know uh, my son has taught me this my son's a junior at, at texas a m and engineering but his generation you know we've talked so much you hear people saying about things about the young generation and whatever i've learned so much from them and one of those things is to talk about salary People are not doing that. This is a wonderful field to make a nice living for yourself. And also, um, it's so rewarding, but we don't have enough information falling in the laps of the people that are choosing their careers. And I say that because the days of having a WWW where someone's going to go get information or it's over. If it doesn't fall in their lap while they're scrolling through their feeds, they really aren't going to know about it like the brightest brains in our country and, and across the world, my son was not even for a second going to be looking at a two-year college. And while eventually I, I really support the idea and, and the ideology of going to a bachelor's degree entry, that is many years off. I teach in an associate program right now, and I believe in that education to advance that education and I used to say entry for bachelors. I really think that the entry for this practice needs to be registry. Kind of changed my tune a little bit. I do believe you should become more educated and that leads to conversations just like we are having right now because it's more well-rounded, but we just need to get it more, this, our information or our career path into the laps or into the feeds, I would say, of our target audience, which is people, you know, coming out of high school and, and even their associate degrees. I have a ton of students right now coming back from their bachelors sure. because they yeah. recognize that this is really the way they're going to have a viable career that can pay their bills. I know far too many people go into other fields and not find a job. Now they must redirect their field. To wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to talk about to our listeners? We're going to check out RT Out Loud for sure. Yes, I'm on TikTok and I'm on, and mm -hmm. believe me, mine's just as nerdy as it can be, but I think it's important we show our students that we are participating mm -hmm. in the world that they live in right now. And so I TikTok, Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn. Please link in with me. LinkedIn used to be this horrible platform. I don't know if you all agree with that or not, but since Microsoft bought it and it's, it's been much better and, uh, and much more tuned into your industry specific. So I think that's a great place for sharing your information and just we have to do more in, in respiratory therapy, but I'm, I'm willing to do more with anybody willing themselves. So we just have to reach out and start working with the worker bees out there and, and getting this information out about what a beautiful career path it is. That is all. I'm so thankful for your invitation. 
Not a problem. Teresa, it's been a very passionate conversation. I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. You've reached the end of another episode of Excel with Vitalcraft. Don't forget to follow us for upcoming new episodes. And please recommend this podcast to friends and family. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on Exhale with Vitalcraft.